The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and Mitch Zacks. In our program today, we'll help you get started or continue to build your nest egg with some of the best practices for retirement planning. It's time to start right now. Here are your hosts, Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery. Hello, listeners of VoiceAmerica.com's business channel. You're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. I'm your co-host, Mark Vickery, joined today by the other co-host of The Steady Investor, Mitch Zacks, portfolio manager and founding principal at Zacks Investment Management. Uh, good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Mark. And we also have uh, John Blank on that, the line. That's right, chief strategist for uh, Zacks Investment Management, uh, coming at us from uh, Los Angeles. How are you today, John? Very good, Mark. Thanks, guys. Okay, well, I think I was trying to figure out something we could talk about today. I just I don't know if there's anything that's happened that's been well, newsworthy. Well, the Cubs are old news. Yeah, that's true. That was Cubs last are very week. old news. All that right. was last week. So what a difference a week makes. Yes. I think we were talking about uh, the market was hedging in, I think, a possible uh, Trump victory last week. But we saw that on Monday, right. uh, you know, the, the chances of a, of a Hillary Clinton win were much greater. And... All right, let's, all okay, right, so, so we have a new president. The, that's right. The new president is uh, the, the, the Donald Trump. Uh, so we're going to have a Trump administration. And what I, I think would make some sense is to look at the effect of a Trump administration on two things. Okay. One is uh, what is the effect on the market itself? So what is the effect uh, on the uh, on equities, on how people are allocating capital in the stock market? Right now or right, in the future? Right now in the future. And then the, the, the broader issue and uh, why we have John Blank on the phone, uh, John has a PhD in economics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. is how, does, how do the policies of the new administration affect uh, economic growth and the economy over long periods of time. Okay, good. So, uh, you know, let me just start off by saying that what we're seeing right now in the equity markets is really a uh, extent, you know, a very, very dramatic uh, sector rotation. So, what's happening is you're seeing uh, cash, you're seeing assets move out of the utilities, uh, consumer staple, and tech sectors, and you're seeing it move into healthcare, financials, industrials. And materials. Okay. And what basically is going on is that when Trump gave his acceptance speech, he indicated he was going to uh, spend uh, a lot of money on infrastructure. Right. So what what you're likely going to what what the market is saying is going to happen is that you're going to see an increase in uh, debt issuance by the United States. As the United States issues more debt, as they sell more bonds, mm-hmm. bond prices fall. You have a higher supply, bond prices fall, and that means interest rates uh, rise. So the yield curve starts to become upward sloping, which helps dramatically uh, the financial companies. Right. Additionally, a part of his uh, platform was a reduction in regulation. And if regulation is, in fact, reduced, that dramatically helps uh, the larger banks. And that's why you're seeing a very, very strong rally in the uh, large cap banks. 
then he takes, you know, they, they issue these bonds, they raise the money, mm -hmm. and they use the money to uh, deploy in infrastructure spending, uh, my guess is, uh, you know, throughout the country. And again, you're seeing those companies that are involved in infra infrastructure uh, spending uh, to increase. So any company that's creating basic materials mm -hmm. that would be used in infrastructure, any, any company actually involved in uh, sort of infrastructure construction would be uh, going up. Things like Caterpillar, although they could conceivably be hit with tariffs, are doing better because there's this perception that they're going to increase uh, infrastructure spending right. and then that this would be copied uh, throughout the world. So if we look at the companies that uh, sort of came under pressure immediately following uh, the analysis, you're looking at things like Centene Corporation, uh, which was a uh, managed care organization provider that's going to get uh, hurt uh, by changes on the healthcare side. HCA, which is a hospital uh, company, Got and again, hit, if right. there's a repeal of Obamacare, uh, what you're going to see happening is fewer people have as much money to spend on healthcare, and as a result, the hospitals uh, make less money. Uh, KSU, which is a uh, rail company uh, that does a tremendous amount of uh, activity between the United States and Mexico, yeah. so things involved in Mexican trade are, are coming under pressure. Uh, again, a uh, Besides uh, KSU, uh, UHS, again, a, a, a healthcare management company that's going to come under pressure, and something like Constellation Brands, which is uh, markets alcoholic beverages, but Mexican beer is a major uh, marketer of what they're doing. That's right. So with, with the common thread, looking at immediately what's happening uh, in, in response to the Trump presidency is that you're seeing the hospitals come under dramatic amounts of pressure. Because if there's a repeal of Obamacare, there's going to be, uh, you know, th th these, these hospitals are not going to make as, as much money. And you're seeing companies that generate a large amount of revenue uh, through uh, Mexican trade, uh, either by selling Mexican goods or transporting goods to and from Mexico, uh, also coming under uh, some degree of pressure. Right. So we, the, let's, let's stick with the hospitals for a moment. Um, if uh, Obamacare is repealed, it's unclear what it would be replaced with, if anything. Right. So we may just go back to emergency room visits for people with uh, the flu or something like that. Right. But it's from a macroeconomic perspective, uh, Obamacare doesn't have a huge impact on in terms of GDP growth. Okay. Okay. So it has a huge impact on these hospitals sure, on the and second. the earnings of the hospitals. But in terms of macroeconomic growth, it doesn't have a tremendous uh, tremendous impact. Now, if we look at the companies that are, are, are doing uh, relatively well, all the, a common uh, thread is there's something like Nucor, which is a steel manufacturer. So again, a steel manufacturer is going to be doing well because there's this perception that there's going to be increased uh, spending. A lot of drug companies, uh, Endo International is, is doing well. And again, the reason is that with changes in regulation, and a lot of this is due to also a proposition that failed in California, there's not going to be this, uh, there's not going to be as much downward regulatory pressure on uh, drug prices. Right. So the, the, and uh, you look at something like Vulcan Materials Company, and again, they're, they're, they're companies uh, that are producing goods that are used in building. Uh, Martin Marietta, uh, you know, infrastructure uh, production company, construction company. Uh, highways, infrastructure. So again, what what is what big is wall, the, the, the big wall? Well, not necessarily the big wall, but the common theme is there's going to be less regulation, lower taxes, increased spending, right. and uh, potentially increased tariffs. 
And right now, the market is really focused on the increased spending and the lower taxes right. and the higher interest rates and the lower regulation. So it's looking at all the positives. The negative uh, that's, that's looming out there, which the market really is not focused on right now, is the extent to which there's, there are tariffs imposed and if there's, if, if the extent to which trade policy is changed. Mm-hmm. Now, you have about 40 to 50 percent of the revenue uh, from the component stocks of the S&P 500 coming, over, coming from overseas. So if you start to have large tariff increases and withdrawal from uh, trade agreements, it's going to be uh, it's going to put uh, downward pressure on corporations which sell globally. And part of the corporations that sell the most globally are not necessarily these construction companies, right? right? It's a lot of these uh, technology companies. That's correct. So the, the technology company is going to be uh, the recipient of increased tariffs. If you start increasing tariffs with uh, China, the next effect is China is going to say absolutely no technology company is allowed into into their country. You start increasing tariffs with Europe, Europe's going to say we're going to make it harder for Facebook to come on, on board. That's what we really don't want. If you're not going to buy our tires, we're not going to let Facebook come on board. So the benefits of globalization have been these tech companies. And then the Trump administration is trying to sort of stop or not stop or just sort of put some uh, constraints on globalization. And by doing that, it's going to, it's conceivably starting to hurt these tech companies. So you're seeing this rotation out of these sectors very, very dramatically. Uh, Utilities are coming under pressure primarily because of higher interest rates. Higher interest rates are coming because they're saying that the new administration with a Republican Congress is going to issue more debt, drive interest rates up. And as they issue more debt and drive interest rates up, uh, utilities are the valuation of utilities are going to come under pressure. Very good. Should we bring John John Blank in on this conversation? John, would you like to go through some of the uh, the economic effects of the uh, Trump presidency? So the first question I have is uh, looking at sort of how is it how might it affect the Federal Reserve policy? Yeah, Mitch. Thanks. Um, first of all. Uh, the, the the first thing we need to, to put in mind here is is nobody really knows what Donald Trump's really going to do. So that that gets phrased in in a in a more popular way uh, by an economist as policy uncertainty. It's a big word for we don't know what he's going to do or whether he's going to do anything. And Mitch talked about those are the things the market's betting on. But he's a he's a he's a cantankerous guy, and we don't know really what he will do or who he will point yet. So. The first issue when you have policy uncertainty is you have some risks, and markets don't like risks. And the Fed doesn't like risks. So that's the point here, first of all, is the Fed does not like risks and is a conservative uh, institution, and the Federal Open Market Committee is staffed with conservative-thinking people. So they were looking to hike rates in December, and the first thing to think about is, is is this still going to happen? Are they going to still hike rates in December? I think the answer is probably yes. They're going to probably do it, but the probability of that has fallen off because there's now going to be a debate about the effects of this presidency on the economy. And so that's the first thing we need to notice, that that Fed rate hikes are now going to get less probability, probably still going to happen, but less probability. Right. The next thing we need to think about, go ahead, Mitch. No, no, John, I was just saying, so what John is saying is that what, what I was talking about in terms of the sector rotations immediately in response to the election is kind of like a smoke, it's kind of not super important. 
It's an immediate uh, gut reaction to what they think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the we market, saw a 1,000 uh, point swing yes, in the Dow yes, from, exactly. from, from Tuesday. So you evening. can't put too much uh, saying, well, uh, because as soon as, the, uh, as soon as he was elected, drug companies started rallying dramatically and tech companies started to come under pressure, that the policies that are going to actually be implemented are going to massively help the drug companies and massively hurt uh, the technology companies. Right. So it's very, from our perspective, in terms of managing money, we're not changing how we're doing anything. And you're trying, we're trying very, very hard not to react to these swings in prices. So we want to stay focused on earnings estimate revisions, valuation metrics, uh, the other investing anomalies that we use uh, to make micro decisions as to which stocks are going to outperform. The last thing you want to do as an investor and the absolute last thing you want to do as a portfolio manager is react to this and say, well, because of a Trump administration, these stocks are going to be in favor. These stocks are going to be out of favor. Let's increase. Let's change our weightings dramatically around. What you want to do is wait and see what's happening. But there, what John was saying is there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Right. So unlike other candidates where it was it, you had a greater idea of what would actually happen when that person was would be elected. Here you have a tremendous amount of uncertainty, and that uncertainty is what drove the market sell-off after hours. Right. Then the market came to the conclusion that here is what most likely is going to happen, and if this happens, it might actually be positive uh, for the economy. Uh, but uh, so, so the uncertainty causes Federal Reserve policy uh, to, to kind of uh, – Come under some sort of wait and see uh, attitude. So, John, what I'm so you think it's unlike? Do you think it, it's uh, likely or unlikely that uh, we're going to see a rate hike in December? I think it's likely, Mitch. I think they're going to stick stay the course with it, but I think we're going to see a very different uh, set of language in the statement because they're going to address the, the Trump policies and they're going to talk about uncertainty as it relates to them. Right, and one of the policies is to uh, have more. Uh, let's call them reform proposals about the uh, transparency of the Federal Reserve. That's so true. that that so if that goes too far, uh, that could be a very negative for the market. But if it's just sort of uh, something that is fairly moderate and doesn't constrain uh, the Fed's policy making activity, uh, the market probably would not react uh, very dramatically to it. So again, what's happening right now, the market is not pricing in that uncertainty. It's working under the concept that. The administration is going to pursue traditional Republican policies, uh, but it's kind of strange because it's higher spending, increased debt, and things of that sort. So let's move on to sort of fiscal policy, John, and what do we see potentially occurring in terms of fiscal policy of the new administration? Yeah, uh, Mitch, this is back to your point that you made. Uh, Personal tax cuts and business tax cuts have been proposed. Um, however, um, we've got Paul Ryan in the House of, of Representatives and a lot of fiscal hawks in the game on the Congress. So there's going to be, again, do we know whether what he spoke about on the campaign trail with big tax cuts, uh, particularly for, for business corporate profit tax cuts, is likely to get some pushback from Paul Ryan. He's a Wisconsin moderate Republican. He's been known for two-year budget deals. He's been known for... The, the likely idea of keeping uh, the deficit down. He has been on board with sequestration for, for a number of years. So this is where Donald Trump will find out that Washington is not like the Trump organization. You have people to deal with. And he has got 
two Republican, uh, a Senate and a Republican House, which sounds like it's an open carte blanche, but I doubt that actually happens in practice. Okay. So at the end of the day, what the market is looking at is it's saying that taxes are probably going to be going down and spending, corporate spending is going is going to, uh, not corporate spending, government spending is going up. Right. So you're going to decrease taxes, increase spending. This should stimulate the economy in the short term. The issue is that given how close we are to full employment, mm-hmm. unemployment is relatively low, it's likely going to cause some inflation and cause interest rates to rise, which again is beneficial to potentially the financial companies. And so the issue is the market is already reacting to this. Right. It's already buying uh, XLF, which is the ETF for the financial companies, putting it on a, a massive uh, two-day rally here. Uh, and the question is to what extent this actually occurs. And so the market is pricing in right now that this is absolutely going to occur. And as John was indicating, we have this uncertainty as to what is uh, going to occur. So the important part is to realize that the market's initial reaction is just that. It's an initial reaction to what it expects to have happen. But it may not be correctly discounting the uncertainty of these things actually being uh, implemented. And the reason is because you, you have this. And so, uh, Mark, you're saying we're coming down to uh, the last couple minutes. Yeah, we're going to take a short break in a, in a minute or okay. so. But so the boost, just... assuming that they do this and assuming that taxes go down and government spending goes up, you're going to also see higher interest rates. And with those higher interest rates, you're going to see a, a dollar uh, go up. And as the dollar goes up, it's again going to put somewhat pressure on uh, U.S. exports. So again, you have uh, the dollar going up. As the higher dollar uh, goes up, it makes U.S. exports uh, more expensive. Generally speaking, from the potential tariffs, from the potential increase in the dollar hurting U.S. exports, from the uh, spending, government spending focused on infrastructure in the U.S., this lends me to believe that the policies are going to be somewhat more advantageous to smaller cap companies uh, than to larger cap companies. And the reason is uh, if there's tariffs or uh, withdrawal from trade agreements, it's going to hurt larger cap companies more so than smaller cap companies. But the company that's actually building things in the United States is going to get more government spending. The company that's actually, you know, there's also a potential for more uh, for defense uh, manufacturers to also let's, do Let's pick okay. that up after the break. Then. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to The Steady Investor with Mitch Sachs and John Blank. We'll be right back. Hello. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 800-245-2934. Or to learn more, go to ZimWealth.com. Again, that number is 800-245-2934. 
or go to zimwealth.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zax Investment Management, where you have Mitch Zaks. Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zach's Investment Management, and John Blank, Chief Strategist for Zach's Investment Management, uh, on the line from L.A. Uh, I wanted to say, first off, for more information about how to best invest your assets for retirement, you can call Zach's Investment Management right here in Chicago at this new phone number, 800-918-3114. You will be patched through uh, to an agent at Zach's Investment Management, and you can discuss at length your risk levels and investment strategies that are best suited for you and your family. For more information, you can email us at ziminfo at zax.com or visit our website at zimwealth.com. Also, uh, John Blank has a uh, stock market outlook, and he just uh, put out a new one after the last uh, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, jobs report. And that to get that free stock market outlook, you can call that same number, 800-918-3114. And uh, Mark, I also want to say that we do have a, a nice piece for investors uh, talking about the sector impacts of a Trump administration. And if you're interested in looking at that, uh, it's again, 1-800-918-3114. But again, I just want to say, as a professional uh, money manager, you do not want to react uh, to the news. You, you don't want to uh, react. Most likely, the changes that we're seeing in sector movements are potential overreactions. Okay. And what John was saying is extremely important. There's tremendous uncertainty. So when we say that we're going to see increased fiscal spending, uh, increased uh, reduction in taxes, higher interest rates, higher dollar, you don't know if that's going to actually materialize or when uh, or, or, when, to, what or what, to what extent and things of that sort. Uh, so uh, we, you just have to make sure that you continue to focus on a micro level. Okay. And you not start uh, managing a portfolio from a macro perspective. We think these companies are going to come under pressure. I mean, there's there's a whole belief that you know the technology companies with large cash holdings are going to repatriate their cash to the U.S., pay taxes, and uh, then deploy it in the U.S. You you don't know if that's going to happen or not. You don't know the effect. You don't know to what extent that's going to happen to Apple. So these are sort of knee jerk, very very dramatic sector rotations that are occurring. They're most likely uh, somewhat of an overreaction, and you have to wait to see what the policy is actually going to be. Uh, but if you are interested in what the current sector impacts are, uh, you know, one eight hundred nine one eight three one one four. And we'd be very happy to give you the research we produce. It's just a, uh, I would I would caution people not to try and react to uh, to the news essentially. Right. But John, uh, going back to sort of the trade policy, this is where I conceivably see the market as not uh, sort of pricing in what conceivably could happen. My gut reaction is that the market is not pricing in the potential negative effect of uh, tariffs. 
and of sort of uh, withdrawal from trade agreements. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Trump's uh, view, uh, tr what a Trump administration would mean for trade policy? Yeah, Mitch, I mean, again, this is the rhetoric, and the rhetoric says that we're going to threaten the outside world, particularly China uh, and particularly Mexico, with large tariff increases, and we're going to withdraw from trade agreements like the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement with a number of countries in the Pacific region, and frankly, stall the Atlantic uh, uh, agreements with the Europeans. Um, so this is the first idea, and certainly the Mexican peso has already uh, devalued itself in, re in response to the lower volumes that would come through uh, the peso as a result of more tariffs and, and, and less likely uh, generous terms in trade agreements. So again, this is the better deal. This is Donald Trump negotiating a better deal, and I think on this point we should probably take him seriously. We okay. know so, he will be a negotiator, and we know he'll make some deals. So the question is whether this is just a threat to help gain leverage in a trade negotiation or whether there's actual tariff increases and withdrawal from trade agreements. The market is responding as if it is just a negotiation uh, threat and there's not going to be any change. If tariff increases do occur, there's a old uh, bunch of economists, you have these sort of salt water, salt water economists who are, you know, were educated at MIT and on the coast near the Harvard, near, near saltwater, and you have sort of the freshwater economists that were educated in Chicago near bodies of freshwater. But uh, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but both the freshwater and the saltwater economists sort of agree that uh, tariff increases don't are, are effectively some sort of tax and would, would generally be negative for both sides of the that engage in the tariffs. Right, that is true, and the other problem is we have already joined the WTO, and as soon as you increase the tariff, um, it'll be a lawsuit will enter the WTO, and you'll face retaliation and and counter sanctions from the WTO itself. So uh, Trump again is going to learn uh, the lesson that unilateral, meaning just doing something on your own, uh, even if you have the backing of the Senate and the House and the judiciary still doesn't mean you can work your way out of organizations like WTO that we are still part of. So that's the other learning here is, is this is probably an area where pushback and, and, and some understanding of what is in place with existing agreements is going to dilute the effect of the discussions in this area. And if they do increase tariffs, it's essentially a tax on consumers and businesses. So it's essentially, if you think of it, and you think about going to Walmart and buying goods at Walmart, and all of a sudden the United States starts going to Canada and saying, we're going to tax your goods higher, the net effect is the goods at Walmart increase. And everyone who has to buy goods at Walmart or anywhere now is paying more money. So there's less disposable income, and then it's the exact same effect of effectively putting a ta increasing people's taxes. So if the goal is to stimulate the economy, what the market is saying is that the, the, the trade policy rhetoric might have just been that. It is simply rhetoric because increasing tariffs will effectively put taxes on businesses and consumers. And, and John, I just want to get into this, that it's like, you know, there's all sorts of disagreements of economists, but most academically educated economists uh, would tend to agree that reducing trade barriers, barriers uh, it creates winners and loses, losers, but generally is advantageous for both parts that are engaged in the trade. 
This is true, Mitch. I, I want to. I have a study from the World Economic Forum that I'm working on with a uh, with a talk that I'm giving next week, and it's 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 part of an October seventeenth, twenty sixteen. It's called the J. Douglas Gibson Lecture. This is a big academic, you know, you get an endowment and you go and give this talk. It's a very important lecture up in Queen's University in Canada. So for this topic, and the World Economic Forum is, by the way, the group that meets in Davos with, with hundreds of CEOs and all the prime ministers and whatnot. They commission studies, and this is the language, Mitch, that I think you're looking for. A recent study of 40 countries... A recent study of 40 countries projected the effects of closing off cross-border trade. So this isn't just the U.S., but just shutting down trade for 40 countries. What happens is the richest one-tenth percent of consumers, the very rich, who spend most of their high incomes on what's called non-tradable services, because they're just services, you know, buying uh, services, would lose minus 20%, 28% of their purchasing power. So if you're the very richest and you're buying services, you're going to look at minus 28% on your purchasing power. Now, the bottom tenth of consumers, the very poorest in consumers, face, because they buy more goods, they buy more things at Target, Walmart, things like this, would face a loss of 63% of purchasing power. So the question becomes whether this, whether this is known to the new administration. You have to believe there is some rational thought and that the bluster about the trade agreements is just that. It's a way of negotiating a better trade agreement as opposed to increasing tariffs and getting into a trade war. Uh, because if the goal is to sort of make everyone better off uh, and you, you clamp down on trade policy, you clamp down on uh, sort of trade agreements, you increase tariffs, it makes both sides uh, worse off over time. So the market is reacting uh as if this, what you just said, which is a widely accepted facts amongst economists, is going to be known to the administration. And that is part of the uncertainty uh, that, uh, that is why the market sold off dramatically initially. And then after it came, sort of came to census, it started to go up. And maybe it was, you know, uh, essentially the, the view from, from people who are, are closer to the administration putting money into the market. And again, the reason is that if there are these real clampdowns on trade, it, it hurts uh, both people in, in both groups of countries. So let's so so right now, if there's if there is a if the trade policy is not is just renegotiated, and there aren't these tariffs or large tariff increases that occur, the net effect will be uh, will be neutral, I would say, or slightly positive for the market. But the but the market and the economy would benefit more from the increased fiscal spending and the reduction in taxes. So let's, you know, the, the net, let's, uh, John, move on to sort of energy policy. Right. Okay. Um, first of all, let's talk uh, about what Trump has said he's going to do. He's, he is going to promote domestic energy production, and he's going to roll back the previous administration's uh, stance against fossil fuels, things like coal. He, he made a big stance in West Virginia on coal. So coal, oil, and natural gas that is produced domestically is going to get promoted by Trump. And this is sort of uh, given a positive thumbs up because it's going to raise the number of rig counts and employment, and it's going to raise the amount of exports that we do to the rest of the world. Um, 
However, once again, of course, is that you're burning more coal. We we have signed deals, climate change deals in particular. We've done them at the UN. We've done them through uh, other organizations. We've done them quite recently. And to renegotiate that, even if you want to do that, is a years-long process. And that's the other issue here is, once again, when he realizes not only that he has to deal with the House and the Senate, but he has existing agreements in multilateral institutions who, who will and have the authority to uh, put sanctions on and, and reduce the, uh, the, the tenor of what he's trying to achieve. So the net result is it would be positive for the traditional energy producers, negative for the clean energy renewables, definitely negative if you're worried about uh, global warming or sort of pollution or you know the problem of the commons and these, these public goods. Uh, but the net effect is the energy policy should be positive for energy companies and could conceivably be positive uh, for for GDP in the in the immediate future. Uh, so that it helps explain why energy companies are are you know they're they're about neutral right now, but they're doing much better than the utility companies. Uh, financials though are reacting uh, again because of the higher interest rate environment, because of the upward sloping yield curve but also potentially the reduction in uh, regulation. And John, could you, uh, could you speak a little bit, uh, you know, just to general terms about the effect of, of financial regulation? Now, take into mind, although financial regulation is talked about a tremendous amount, if you wanted to say what is the real effect on GDP of financial regulation, it's probably relatively low. What the real effect on financial regulation has to do is with the profitability of uh, large of, of financial institutions. So, John, if the, the, would you, could you talk a little bit about financial regulation and if that's sort of a plus uh, for the financial service companies? Right. Uh, again, Mitch, uh, we have two sets of players here that are now uh, giving, giving the, the full attention of the market. One is the Republicans in Congress, and the other is Donald Trump himself. And, and what the two of them net out to having to say is, first of all, Dodd-Frank should be repealed or modified. So that's going to be the first thing that's on the table is the actual core 2,200-page Dodd-Frank regulation from the major banks. The other one to consider is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is Elizabeth Warren's creation. And so the longer-term policy perspective is you're going to, the market's going to be more open to potential asset inflation bubbles that are going to occur uh, due to leverage of the banks as the banks sort of are allowed to lend more. Uh, but generally speaking, in the near term, it is probably not a huge macroeconomic effect if, if, if you know, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is, is, is reduced. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, there sh- it should be beneficial uh, for those companies in the, uh, you know, the, the financial companies, the large banks of the country mm-hmm. uh, should be doing better. And that's exactly what we're saying. We're, what we're, we're saying and that's what we're seeing. And if we look at the two sectors that are doing well, when we started this conversation by saying what stocks were rallying dramatically as a result of the new administration, they're all uh, healthcare companies and they're, uh, you know, financial companies. One of the companies that is up uh, the highest in response to the uh, uh, to the new administration engages in uh, student loans. And again, the issue is, that with uh, you know uh, with lower regulation, uh, some of these for-profit uh, universities 
will not have as much regulatory pressure, and they'll begin. Uh, people will begin taking out more loans. There'll be less regulatory oversight of student loans, and and they'll start to increase. Now, these things might have bad long-term consequences, uh, but in the short term, it's generally beneficial to the market uh, and to the economy. Uh, but let's go to the other sector that we've seen, which are which are the in the healthcare group. You're seeing the drug companies rally and you're seeing the hospital companies come under pressure. And a lot of this has to do with sort of repealing Obamacare and also with something uh, called Proposition 61 uh, in uh, in California. John, are you were you familiar with Proposition 61? I just want to say also, yes. first of all, before we do this. I'm too familiar, Mitch. You are familiar with it. Let's do, let's do a short answer now, John, because I know you can't see us here in, in LA. Let's do a short answer now, and we'll come back after a break, and we'll, we'll, we'll delve into it so, more, okay? Right. So after the break, what we'll come back and talk about is how much of the drug company rallying is due to Proposition 61, and how much is it due to potentially lower regulation, and what sort of the outlook is if Obamacare really is repealed on the hospitals. And again, before we go to break, I just want to put the caveat in on this that although this is very exciting to talk about, it's very interesting to talk about, it makes for great conversation, you for the most part want to continue to focus on selecting securities as you focused on prior to the elect the change in, in government as you do after. And again, if you're looking at micro comp you know companies as which companies to overweight, one very good way to do that is look at which companies are receiving upward earnings estimate revisions. Because if there is a policy change, and when that policy change really will occur, the sell side analysts following those companies will change their expectations as to what that company is going to earn. So although we can uh, speculate and pontificate and talk about how we see the new administration affecting these sectors, the net result is you don't want to stop doing what you're doing that uh, has allowed you to successfully select stocks uh, that can outperform the market. Let's put a stop on it right there. We're going to take a short break and come back and we'll get more into this. You're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management, and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 800-245-2934. Or to learn more, go to ZimWealth.com. Again, that number is 800-245-2934. Or go to ZimWealth.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. You are listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. 
You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Steady Investor. Um, I'm Mark Vickery, the co-host. I've been kind of stepping aside, though, while we hear a fascinating conversation with the portfolio manager and founding principal at Zacks Investment Management, Mitch Zacks, and the chief strategist for Zacks Investment Management, John Blank, uh, calling remote from Los Angeles. Uh, gentlemen, we've been talking about the what what is likely to happen or what we do or don't know about uh, the coming administration through, uh, through uh, President-elect Trump. So we, we left off on what, what section was it? When we were talking about, when we left, we were talking about the effect on healthcare. And again, looking at the sectors that have uh, rallied the most, we've seen healthcare and financials and industrials and materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, the industrials and materials, of course, are rallying because there's this uh, desire by the new administration to increase infrastructure spending. You spend more on infrastructure, you need more basic materials, you need more industrial companies to build the uh, the infrastructure. Right. Financials, of course, were benefiting from a upward sloping yield curve mm-hmm. uh, because interest rates started creeping up because they believe there's going to be more debt issuance. And uh, they're benefiting uh, from potentially lower regulation. Right. Uh, so lower uh, financial regulation dramatically helps the profit margins of very, very large uh, uh, very, very large banking institutions. But moving on to sort of the healthcare uh, perspective, um, John, how much of the uh, what we saw in terms of the healthcare winners were drug companies? And the healthcare losers in response to the new administration were hospitals, effectively. So, John, how much of the increase in the drug companies was due to Proposition 61, and how much of it was uh, due to the new administration, do you think? Well, Mitch, first of all, we should probably uh, give people the, the lowdown on what Proposition 61 was. For, we had 17 propositions in California. Proposition 61 was what was considered the most expensive of the initiatives. And it was defeated, by the way, 54 to 46, so it did not happen. Um, there was a huge fight out here. Um, there was $110 million spent to defeat the measure, measure by the drug companies, and the proponents of the measure spent $20 million to support it. Now, what the measure tried to achieve is to lower prescription drug prices. And the requirement was that the state agencies that bought drugs paid no more than the VA did, the veteran, veterans people. The idea was, look, this was basically pushed forward by the AIDS groups in, mm-hmm. in, in, in Los Angeles-based AIDS Healthcare Foundation. This group buys drugs for AIDS patients. Those are big, big payouts for prescription drugs to keep yourself alive. So what they wanted to do is cap that price, and so the, and that was going to be no more than the, the Federal Department of, of Veteran Affairs basically pays for this. And this was supported by Bernie Sanders and, and the AIDS Foundations. The drug companies came out against it, spent $110 million to defeat it, and what they said is it's just going to push higher costs onto veterans and seniors because if you lower AIDS drug prices, you're going to push up costs somewhere else on someone else. And so that, the net, okay, so John, getting back to the, the, the fundamental question here is, it did so it's part of the reason the drug companies are rallying has to do with Proposition 61 uh, because it's essentially allowing drug prices to go higher. The other reason they might be rallying also has to do uh, with potential lower regulation uh, in terms of there was a movement right before the election that specialty drug manufacturers, uh, you know, were gouging with certain drugs, 
and uh, there was political movement to prevent that from occurring. You had some issues with Mylan in, uh, you know, in West Virginia, and you had some issues with some other companies in terms of drug prices uh, going up dramatically. And so, to some extent, the new administration uh, and the lack of Proposition 61 passing in California has helped the drug companies. Uh, why do you think for the uh, hospitals uh, potentially repealing Obamacare, and I have a very good idea why, but I just want to see what your views were, uh, why repealing Obamacare would put downward pressure on the hospital companies? Right, Mitch. Again, you know, we got to think about uh, framing this within the U.S. economy. We have a labor force of 160 million workers, and we have 320 million people in this U.S. economy. So in the, in the situation that, that Barack Obama came into, we had 20 million people who were getting medical services through the emergency rooms, but they were not insured. Obamacare allowed 20 million people to get insurance for coverage of these expenses. So that actually lowered the cost because then you don't go to the emergency room anymore. You go in more often, more preventive care, and, and, it, and it actually lowered health care spending. But it extended these insurance plans to 20 million people. So HMOs saw growth because they, the HMOs, HMOs and the hospitals the now get plans. Right. So hospitals, there are more people with more dollars to spend on health care uh, than there were before. So they're... So if you take the Obamacare away, there are less dollars to spend on hospitals, and they're coming under pressure. And so from a pure macroeconomic perspective, the people who were sick, were, were they were getting treatment that wasn't as good as, as what it could be otherwise, but the net effect on GDP growth might not be that great, but the effect on the profitability of the hospitals is going to be relatively uh, dramatic. So again, looking at sort of taking a step back and looking at this in, uh, in aggregate, uh, what we're seeing effectively is if the, if the fiscal policy is implemented as we anticipated, if the trade policy was just rhetoric and there's not really a massive uh, tariffs that are increased, if the financial regulation uh, is reduced, if the energy policy uh, moves uh, towards fossil fuel manufacturers away from a sort of clean energy, uh, the net effect of this uh, between the increased government spending, the reduction in taxes, uh, the potential uh, increasing interest rates is it might not be negative uh, for GDP growth going forward. The sort of uncertainty, though, of what's going to happen, in my mind, is not quite being priced into the market. And if the result of the new administration really are these sort of uh, trade wars uh, and tariff increases, that would be very, very negative uh, for the market. Also, what I think is not being priced in is if there, if sort of the, the level of, uh, of consumers sort of getting worried about what's happening and stopping spending, that could also uh, be self-reinforcing and cause downward movement on GDP. The net result of all this, though, is that for the most part, it's a new administration. It's, you know, it, there are some very unique characteristics of the new administration, but it's no different uh, than uh, changes in administrations that have occurred historically. And the effect on the market is somewhat unknown. The initial reaction has been positive, but we have to wait and see uh, to get more uh, of the uncertainty effectively removed. 
as an investor, though, it's extraordinarily important that you not try and react and trade on potential changes in policy. If there is a policy change, the policy change will be reflected in the earnings estimates uh, that are being revised uh, for different types of companies. So if there's an increase in government spending on infrastructure creation equipment and on building infrastructure, you're going to see those types of companies uh, get their earnings estimate revisions uh, increasing. If as a result of re uh, potentially repealing Obamacare, you're going to see the hospitals come under pressure, you're going to see the hospitals get earnings estimate revisions downward. And it is not correct to try and jump the gun and say, well, because this and this is going to happen, this is going to happen from a policy perspective, and this will be the effect, uh, the effect on interest rates. The, the general reason the market is uh, reversed itself, though, from the initial reaction to what happened uh, later on has to do with the effect, in my mind, uh, of seeing the sort of benefits uh, for the economy of, of the new administration's policies. Uh, John, generally speaking, uh, how would, uh, in, in terms of which issue is going to affect the economy the most, what do you see in terms of the new administration's greatest effect on the economy? Uh, Mitch, you know, that's a great question. I think myself, I think the financial policies will probably be the biggest. Yeah. Because I really think that there's been a massive gridlock and and hold back and there's been a baton handoff from Paulson to Geithner to then Lou. And this really and along with the fact that there was a massive amount of uh, control of the SEC, that logjam has been broken. And mm -hmm. and thank God it has and this is all to the good. So I think the underlying subtext here is that the financial policy, if we get the right Treasury secretaries in place, and I think we will, will probably be quite positive, and they will think through Dodd-Frank, and they will think through all the regulatory assets, but that doesn't mean they're going to choose what an economist would call as a corner solution, meaning a very drastic change. But we're going to get some cleaner heads, and people don't have the baggage from the OA crisis in place for the first time in almost 10 years. Right. So you have to let the financial crisis psychology seep out of the policymakers that are engaged. And the reason is, the, the whole entire reason the financial crisis was so uh, potentially uh, disruptive to the, to the U.S. economy is because it, it would affect the banking sector, which provides the loans that help all these uh, companies grow. And right now, if you look at, for instance, where mortgage origination is occurring from, uh, it's occurring in sort of a shadow banking system, that the banks themselves, uh, due to increases in regulation and due to uh, higher capital constraints, are less likely to lend. And if the new administration really opens up the ability of the banks to lend, uh, which is a non-populist view, uh, it could be extremely beneficial uh, for the markets and uh, for the economy. Uh, the net result is there's a lot of noise, a lot of activity over uh, over the uh, presidency. But again, the key issue in terms of stock prices are again earnings and interest rates. And uh, it, it, you know some of the policies might actually cause uh, earnings to go up. Interest rates are likely to rise, uh, which could also accelerate uh, this movement out of fixed income uh, and into the equity markets. Uh, if there is, if the infrastructure spending and the stimulus package 
is successful in potentially uh, growing uh, GDP and increasing corporate earnings, the net effect uh, will be uh, good for the market. But the uh, net result is you, you don't want to overreact. And initially, my uh, intuition is that the sector rotations that we're seeing might actually be overreaction uh, to sort of uh, th thinking of what's going to happen. And you have to wait and see what actually is going to happen. And when you see what actually is going to happen, the net result will be changes in uh, earnings estimates of these corporations. And then you respond to those earnings estimate revisions. You don't try and jump the gun and say, well, there's going to be this massive fiscal uh, stimulus package. And so let's go ahead and, and uh, over allocate uh, to basic material companies. What you want to be doing is looking at basic material companies in terms of valuation metrics, in terms of upward earnings estimate revisions. We're reviewing basic material companies in our large cap value strategy, looking at their dividend yield, looking at their cash flow yield, uh, and looking at their short interest relative to shares outstanding. And uh, we were very, uh, you know, we were overweighted in basic materials before the election, but it wasn't in anticipation of some massive change occurring due to administration changes. It was because the basic material companies were, uh, had low degrees of short interest and also had a relatively attractive uh, cash flow yields and relatively attractive dividend yields. And again, you want to let the policy sort of just unfold and your reaction to it has to be based on uh, micro analysis of underlying stocks and then using risk models uh, to make sure the overall exposure of the portfolio is pretty much in line with the benchmark. Mark, you didn't have much talk to, to I wanted here, to leave, leave it to not, the experts. I, mean, I wanted to turn it back to you and see if you had any final questions for John or myself that you think investors uh, might, might have on their mind. No, I, it just made me think that one thing we've been speaking about for the past few weeks is that uh, the market would prefer gridlock in Congress, and yes. we haven't gotten that. What we got instead is a full-on GOP uh, a yeah. forward... Uh, all, all sales, you know, uh, going. Right. So what? So it's, but it seems like it's had a uh, positive effect uh, initially. This has got to be really quick because we don't have a lot of right. time. Um, what? What are the? What's just the overall thing that that investors should be thinking about with this? My, the concern is that gridlock doesn't allow change to occur. Right. When change occurs, it can be beneficial change, or it can be what uh, John was talking about, which are corner solutions, which are very strange results, and so. By having the lack of gridlock, it means that change is going to occur. And you don't know if that change is going to be positive or negative. John, I, I want to try to, uh, turn it back to you if you had a different answer or if you thought that was uh, was, was reasonable. Real quick. Absolutely, Mitch, you pointed out, and I'm glad you used the line corner solutions. The risk we have here that we didn't have three days ago is the Senate, the House, and the presidency are now in the control of one party. And the corner solution risk, well, I don't think it, it will materialize, is, is real now. It's, it's relevant, and it's 15 or 20 percent. We get extreme policies. And this is the unpredictability of this administration, that we now have a lot more potential corner solutions that come out of this administration than before. Okay, so we, the corner solutions we, we gotta, are uh, right. Sorry, the Mitch, corner, we got to okay, leave it there, though. Um, this has been the Steady Investor. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Actually, we're going to have. Yeah, next week we'll be back. Uh, please call this number to uh, to access uh, Zach's Investment Management eight hundred nine one eight three one one four. For Mitch Zach's and John Blank, I'm Mark Vickery. Thank you very much for listening.
Thank you for tuning in this week. Be sure to join Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery for another edition of The Steady Investor next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you haven't started your retirement plan yet, what are you waiting for? 